Welcome to another podcast of the Word of God. We will be studying the lectionary readings in the Book of Common Prayer on the week of four Easter, the fourth Sunday of Easter. Now there are seven weeks in Easter, are, and they are uh, bridged by Easter Day, where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, and the day of Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit comes. Remember what happens 40 days after Easter Day, Jesus ascends into heaven, and then 10 days later, he tells him to go wait in the upper room for the gift my uh, Father has promised, the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will fall down on them and literally change the world. But we'll be looking at that uh, several weeks from now. So we are looking at the scriptures in four Easter. Now, something very interesting is happening uh, in the scriptures this week. Normally, we look at an Old Testament reading, a New Testament reading, and a gospel. Now, the gospel is very simple. We continue our study of the book of Luke, and we'll be in that book for a very long time. In our New Testament reading, we are going to be looking at the book of Colossians, a fabulous book which I strongly recommend to all of you, and I think you'll enjoy it, the book of Colossians. But in the Old Testament, we are not looking at a book that's in the original 39. We are looking at a book that's in the Apocrypha. And that book is wisdom. Now, I will not be dealing with books of the Apocrypha. I do not read books of the Apocrypha. Let me say a couple of words about them. The books of the Apocrypha were written in the 200 to 300 BC, much later than Malachi, which is about 400 BC. So the books of Apocrypha were written in Greek and not Hebrew. The books of, from Genesis to Malachi are written in Hebrew, and there's a little bit of Aramaic. Now, those readings, those 39 books, Genesis to Malachi, were written in Greek in what's called the Septuagint. The Septuagint. In about the second, third century BC, okay? And so we have uh, a situation where we have the original writing in Hebrew, then we have the Septuagint in Greek. And then we have what we call the Latin Vulgate, written by Jerome in the 6th century. Okay, 5th and 6th century AD. So we have Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. The Vulgate, the Septuagint, and then the Hebrew Bible. All right. Now, in the Apocrypha, there are no references in the New Testament to the Apocrypha. Several denominations do not declare them to be the Word of God. A few denominations do, like the Roman Catholic Church. I do not believe that the Word of God myself. That's why I'm not including them in this podcast. But if you want to read them, please do. I would not take it as the Word of God, though. I would also say that reading it for educational readings is, is good. I certainly wouldn't think that that's a problem. But in terms of trusting, entrusting yourself to it, something that you base faith upon, I would say to be very careful about that. So that's the Book of Wisdom in the fourth Sunday of Easter. Now remember, we have the Psalter, the Psalms, and they're divided 
between morning prayer psalms and evening prayer psalms, and I've mentioned that occasionally in these podcasts. And you'll see that written above the uh, listing of the Old Testament reading, the New Testament reading, and the Gospel reading. Now, what I'd like to do is look at the book of Colossians. And the book of Colossians is a fabulous book that Paul wrote to the people of Colossae. And Colossians is very similar to Ephesians. So you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Then you have Acts, the book of Acts. Then you have Romans, Paul's magisterial work. Then you have 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Then you have Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, etc. All right. So um, Galatians, then Ephesians, and Philippians and Colossians. Now, Colossians is a, what we call a prison letter. It's a prison letter. Um, in, the, in like Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Philemon's a very short book. And so Paul is in prison, and he's writing those four letters. So Colossians is a very deep book. It is theologically very, very rich. It is a very profound book. So as you're reading through Colossians, you'll want to take your time, and you'll want to read slowly. Now, the book of Colossians was written to counter heretics' view regarding the scriptures and regarding Christ. Paul wrote letters in response usually to problems and difficulties in the church. So he wrote to churches. And those uh, books that he wrote, letters that he wrote, were read aloud and were distributed among the people in terms of oral reading. All right. And he is countering a problem in Colossae in which there have been several people that have arisen that are speaking lies about Christ. Now, one of the things that's very important about the epistles in Paul is that it is crucial that the information that he's sharing with them in the epistles, and he wrote 13 of them, is accurate, is truthful. Now, remember last week when I told you that in 1 John, we have the understanding of truth, particularly in 2 and 3 John, those very short books, as you recall. I referred to truth and what is true. And that's a very important question even today. What is true? What is truth? I'm thinking of Rome, uh, uh, John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Well, Paul finds out that people are speaking untrue things in Colossae, and he's writing his letter in response to that. It's a complex letter, and it's very deep, as I said earlier. The truths are very profound, and they're highly Christological. What does that mean? That means that the emphasis that Paul is making is upon Christ, and he has a high view of Christ. What does that mean? That means that his view of Christ is, ver is taken very seriously. Okay, So when we say we have a high view of something, that means we are taking that situation and that information seriously. If we say we have a low view of it, we're not taking it very seriously at all. So Paul is taking very seriously his relationship with Christ, his understanding of what the faith about Christ 
is, and he's sharing that with the Colossians to counter the false teaching that they are receiving. And he's praying that they will not receive the false teaching. So he counters it by telling us the truth about Christ. Now, this same phenomenon is happening today where people will say false things about Christ. So if Paul was here today writing, he would be countering the views of the heretics and showing how Christ is who he says he was. All right. So we've got Colossians 1, 1 through Colossians 3, 17 to go over very quickly with you, and then we'll go to Luke. Now he begins by speaking of Timothy, our brother, in chapter 1, verse 1, and to the saints in verse 2, in the faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. He says in verse 3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for the saints. And we've heard about you because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of this you heard before in the word of the truth. Ah, the gospel. There's that word truth. So he's going to counter the false teaching by speaking about the true teaching. Now, the true teaching is contained in the gospel. All right? And he says in verse 9 that he has not ceased to pray for them that they may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So he wants them to have spiritual wisdom and understanding. He wants them to be able to discern truth from false. He wants them to have the understanding from the gospel that will keep them in the faith. And so he prays for them. In the next series of teachings in Colossians 1, 15 to 21, he has this extraordinary view of Christ in 15 to uh, to uh, 20. Uh, some people call it a Christological hymn. And he says in verse 15, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. By him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, where the thrones and dominions of rulers, authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So he's basically saying that Jesus Christ is the creator of the universe and his creation is for him. So he is, in fact, the centerpiece of everything. And he's also the image of the invisible God. Now, you cannot see God. This is John chapter 4. Jesus talking to the woman at the well. God is spirit, and those who worship him would, must worship in spirit and in truth. And so he is before all things, verse 17. He holds all things together. What's holding the universe together? Christ. Who's the head of the body the church? Christ, verse 18. And in him, in verse 19, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So the fullness of God dwells in Christ. You'll have to think about that. You could think about that for a lifetime. And so Paul tells us who Christ is and tells us accurately who Christ is and counters those who would disagree. Now, one of the great scriptures that I love in chapter 1 is verse 28, which is basically the premise of my ministry here at All Saints. Him we proclaim, that's what we're doing at All Saints, proclaiming Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Teaching has to happen, admonition and warning has to happen, but we have to have wisdom. That we may present every person mature in Christ. 
So the goal is to pre present everyone mature in Christ. Teleos is the Greek word there for mature. Fully formed. Not a child, not a baby, not a youth. Fully formed, mature. In Christ, in Christ, in Christos. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So that's kind of where I'm at. I'm, I'm toiling and I'm struggling with the energy that Christ has given me to do this. So the goal is to present you fully in Christ and mature in Christ that you may know Christ. In chapter 2, verses 8 through 23, we go through the problems that they are having with the false teachers. And again, this is way too, way too complicated for a, a long teaching on the matter, uh, but I just recommend it to you and read it very slowly, read very carefully. But the key verse is verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Be very careful what you believe. Be very careful about philosophies out there. Be very careful for who teaches you. Think about what they're saying. Think about if, if it's commensurate with Christ. Think about if it's led by the Holy Spirit. And so he discusses what Christ has done for them and shares that with him. In the last two days, we're looking at Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 11, and then 12 to 17. I love the first four verses of chapter 3. If you've been raised with Christ, that is resurrected, as Christ was resurrected, we celebrate uh, on this Easter week. Several weeks ago, we celebrated his uh, resurrection. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things on the earth. So our, our focus needs to be heavenly. Now, we've got things to do on this earth, but we want to keep our mind on heaven. You've died, your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ who is your life appears, you will also appear with him in glory. A beautiful saying. So he tells you what to put to death and what to kill in verse 5. What needs to be mortified, what needs to die in your life, which is our sin, right? It's our sin. So he talks about how significant it is not to sin against the Lord. And then in verse 12, he tells us how we're supposed to take these things and put on these wonderful attributes that God has given us to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of Christ. He calls us chosen ones, holy and beloved, which is what we are in Christ. And he prays that we will be compassionate, kind, humble, meek, and patient. He also says that we should bear with one another. He also says we should forgive one another. He also says that we should put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And he also says that we should have peace, the peace of God, and that should reign in our hearts. Now, can you and I do any of these things on our own? No. Can you and I make ourselves do this? No. Only God can do this through Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit in us and through us and outside of us, working inside of us to do the things that God has called us to do. Now, in our flesh, back up to verse 5 again, we could do all those things very well. without. We don't need God to be sexually immoral and pure, uh, Pa uh, passionate, evil desire, um, malice, slander, anger, wrath. That's all easy. That's just a fleshly apparatus. But if you want to be chosen, holy, 
And beloved, if you want to live in compassion, forgiveness, humility, kindness, peace, and love, now that's going to take God working in you. So therefore, brothers and sisters, verse 17, whatever you do, in word or deed, give, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I could summarize the whole thing in Colossians 3.17. So enjoy Colossians. Read it slowly. It's very deep. We continue our journey in Luke chapter 6. We left off at chapter, the end of chapter 5 last time. And so in chapter 6, we are looking at a teaching again, Jesus being Lord of the Sabbath. So Jesus is teaching them. Why? They don't know anything. They have maybe heard some things from the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And some of the teaching may be good. Some of the teaching may be false. So Jesus is teaching them. He also heals someone with a withered hand. Verses 6 through 11. He is able to heal people. And then he chooses the 12 apostles. And he ministers to a great multitude. Now... The Sermon on the Mount is very famous in the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 5, 6, and 7. It's less famous in Luke's chapter 6. So in Luke chapter 6, we are looking at the Sermon on the Mount, but said in a different way from Luke's perspective. Again, very good to have, very good to read, very good to know. And then we go to chapter 7. So when you're reading the words of Jesus at the end of chapter 6, he's teaching you. He's teaching me. He's teaching us the way that we should live. Great stuff. Chapter 7, we have the healing of the centurion's servant, where Jesus heals someone without actually visiting them. And um, he is just has amazing power. The centurion says, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and my servant shall be healed. I am a man under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to other, come, and he comes. To my servant, do this, and he does it. And so all you have to do is say the word, Jesus, and my servant will be healed. And the servant was healed. This is what we call a long-distance healing. So Jesus doesn't even have to be there to heal somebody. He can heal somebody miles away. Tremendous, tremendous power. And then we see the tremendous power that Jesus has with the raising of a widow's son, the widow at Nain. So he raises from the dead three people, and this is the first of them, raising of the widow. And then we have the messenger from John the Baptist. John asks a great question. You probably asked this question before. Are you the one who is to come, or should we look for another? Is Jesus really the right way, or is there somebody else? In that hour, Jesus healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and many people were blind, received sight, and he, here's how he answered John, who was in prison. Go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. He just he raised up the widow at Nain's child. The poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. 
And so he speaks about John the Baptist and he shares with them the truth about John the Baptist. And so once again, we have Jesus teaching, Jesus healing, Jesus sharing with us the truths of the kingdom, Jesus interacting with the leaders and sharing with them what the truth is. So he's got different genres, he's got different contexts, and so again, what you want to study and what you want to think about, what you want to prepare yourself for, is what is the context and what is he saying at that time? And then secondly, what is he saying to you personally? What is the Spirit saying to you as you're reading these verses? Don't read them quickly. Read them slowly. Let them come to you. Do some study, particularly take the time to do the study, and you will profit immeasurably by it. Next time, we'll be looking at the fifth Sunday of Easter and the sixth Sunday of Easter. So very much, I pray that you'll enjoy the third Sunday of Easter, which we looked at last week, and the fourth Sunday of Easter, which we looked at this week. We'll see you next time. God bless you and enjoy your reading and prayer.